Watch this immediately. Watch this immediately. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Watch This Immediately, the podcast that revels in exposing the ignorance of its two hosts. Me, I'm one of those hosts. My name is Stephen Krauss. With me as always, who's that guy over there? Munir here. Yeah, it's Munir. And this time we are talking about, oh my god, you're in for a treat. We are talking about the 1957 movie, Paths of Glory, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Kirk Douglas... Uh, based on the 1935 novel of the same title by Humphrey Cobb, screenplay by Stanley Kubrick, Calder Willingham, and Jim Thompson. And I forgot to rewatch it. I watched it like a month ago when I initially suggested <laughs> it, and I thought that it would stick in my head. And I, How High is a movie that I watched last night, and... Uh, Clean me out. It was like an enema for my brain. <laughs> but I still remember enough of it. Thank God. This is a movie that I wanted us to discuss because I think, although it wasn't a an enormous hit at the time, it looks like it made about one point two million dollars on a budget of nine hundred thousand. Um, but also, this was back at a time when movies didn't make money the same way they make money now. Um, hmm. how, much, how much was that roughly like, I mean, was that a lot of money in, like, in today's dollars, you think? I, I mean, not, not much, but we can't really, it's not a one-to-one comparison because mm-hmm. movies are a, such a corporate thing now. Um, there's a book about it that I could recommend called Final Cut, uh, which... Um, really covers the moment where everything started to go from being not really profit-driven to being super profit-driven where the, to the point where profit is the only thing that matters, and that's how we have billion-dollar movies now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it was not like that back then. Basically, prior to Jaws, you didn't have these gigantic... Um, I think Jaws was the first $100 million movie. Um, but... So something like this, yeah, it only made $1.2 million adjusted for inflation. That's probably like $15 million or something like that, um, maybe $20 million. But actually, well, adjusted for inflation, 1957, we're probably closer to $30 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did well. Um, but not, not a huge hit, but it's very – it's culturally important for being – a Stanley Kubrick movie having Kirk Douglas in it but it's also I think one of the best war movies ever made I would agree with this and I think it was important I think it's important everyone should see it I don't think war is something that should be glorified and this movie absolutely does not do that in any stretch of the imagination in fact it shines a light on the hypocrisies of war and the cowardice of war that generally does not occur on the battlefield, but occurs at far higher echelons. Right. And the cynicism of our leaders yes. in war. Yeah. Like the, the way that the, whatever the officer was, who's above Kirk Douglas mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, the, 
the big boss that was they were both terrible people yeah and I think I think this is one of the movies that you see a lot of Stanley Kubrickian kind of things like long takes and um, his obsession with focusing on people's faces and but um, Kirk Douglas love him in this movie um, essentially what the movie boils down to is in World War One uh, some French generals get it in their eye get it in their head that we absolutely need this German ridge like this this German encampment on this ridge we need it we're going to take it doesn't matter whether or not it's um, strategically achievable or even defensible yes. once we get it um, we decide we're going to get it and so we're going to get it um, the operation fails spectacularly and to the point that um, some of the soldiers who have been chosen to um, to attempt this siege end up not going there's a great deal of confusion and it is decided by one of the upper 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 I think he's a general right I think so yeah it's decided upon by one of the generals to actually fire or shell his own troops in order to get them moving mm. um, in the wake of all of this failure said general demands a sacrifice essentially he demands that um, four soldiers be chosen and tried for cowardice with the punishment being death so that we have a show trial to shame everybody because that's going to be great for morale and the commanding officer Colonel Bax played by um, Kirk Douglas is the man who has chosen to defend these people and a large part of the trial or a large part of the movie is taken up with the trial and the aftermath of said trial right and uh, you know like <clears throat> it struck me that just the way that these uh, military like leaders were talking to each other it's very corporate Yes, absolutely. You know, like, this is something that would not be out of place in a, a boardroom of some sort today. Yeah, I hadn't even, I hadn't thought about that. That's a yeah, good dude. point. Um, yeah, it's very, it's all very abstract to them. Like it's, leaders who are totally out of touch, and they're being told by the people on the ground, like, hey, this really isn't possible. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we, st- we have to do it still. Like, I don't care what you say. Yeah, but they continue with their... Elon Muskian, just make it happen. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean, that's, like, we've both worked for the same terrible company, I, longer <laughs> than you. Not our current company. Our current company's no, solid. our current company is good. But uh, our old one. Yeah, this was exactly how things were done. Oh, my God, it was. We would just get these edicts, and it didn't matter, like, if they just laid off a bunch of people. They were like, oh, yeah, we've got this new thing we want to do now. Yeah, we're and, giving you half as much right. resources, do twice as much with it. Exactly. And then, of course, when it would inevitably fail, there would just be all sorts of finger pointing and, and you know, all types of, like, crazy um, expl- like explanations and justifications for, for why it failed and why it was not a specific person's fault. Yeah. But it would be sort of 
placed as a blanket upon the employees. Oh, yeah. It's like the rank-and-file employees. Like, right. It was you guys. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't any of the people who'd made these demands of you. Mm-hmm. It was you guys. Yeah. You guys really dropped the ball. <laughs> you should feel bad. You know, and, and, and <laughs> like, you know, they, they wanted to start acquiring companies, <clears throat> and but didn't really want to, like, you know, once they had the company bought, they didn't really think, oh, yeah, now we actually have to, like, get all of these new employees onto our systems. We have to combine the two businesses. That was never a thought. It was just, we've won the press release. Now let's move on and figure out the next thing. Is that how we ended up with the high-end liquor company? No, that, that, came, that, was, that was before. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, something that that... that concern owned prior to the company we were working for. Oh my god. It's a mess. It's all a mess. But yeah, like, just the way that the general and let's just say field marshal, because I know that was like the highest rank hmm. in the military at, in, at, in these World War I days. Like, I don't know if, I think France had field marshals as well as Germany. But like, the general, yeah, to your point, you know, he's on the phone on the battlefield, and they're like, yeah, it's going terribly. Yeah. And the general's like, well, you guys just aren't fighting hard enough. And, yeah, he, like, literally gives the command to, well, just start firing on them. Yeah. We'll move them out of the trenches one way or the other. And later, when it's brought up that, like, this general is the one who gave the order, he's like, how could you say it was me? I would never do such a thing. That reminds me of every, like, Weasley corporate executive's nonsense that I've seen in my career. Yeah. Which makes it all the more heartening that the artillery commander was like, no, it was you, you motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the, the little victories that you get in this movie, because it's a downer of a movie. It is. Um, but the little victories you get are the people who occasionally stand up and be like, no, it was you. And I am not yes. going to, you want me to say it wasn't you, but we both know the truth and I am going to stand up. Whether anyone's going to punish you or not, right. I'm going to stand up because it's the right thing to do and because you are a lying sack of crap. The, the vibes were very 12 angry men to me. I can see that. As well. Like with, with the trial especially. Because, you know, there was, that, there was all that righteous anger in the jury room in that movie. And, absolutely and we have that. that here as well with Kirk Douglas. And, you know, he, he's, he's very impertinent with the field marshal. Like, he just basically goes up to him and is like, oh, yeah, this general's a sack of crap. Mm-hmm. He sucks. And, the, and, and he's thinking the field marshal is, like, kind of in, in simpatico with him, but it then becomes very clear, like, oh, no, this field marshal's even more removed from reality than the general is. Yeah, you kind of have, at least early on in the movie, you have a... A hope that maybe the field marshal is a more reasoned human being. Um, I guess maybe if for no other reason that because he has sort of a grandfatherly aspect to yeah. him. He's got the, the the pleasant mustache. Well, and you know, in the first scene, for example, it's here's the thing though. I guess in the first scene, it is the field marshal coming in, and. At that's the point where the general's like, oh, no, there's no way we can do this. Mm-hmm. But then very qu- quickly, the general's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, we can't really accomplish it, but, but no, we'll try. We'll try. It's cool. 
And from that point on, the general's all in. Yeah. Even more than the field marshal. Because the field marshal, I think, in the back of his mind, thinks that, oh, yeah, I mean, this is totally, like, a stupid thing that I just kind of want because I'm a field marshal. Yeah, and the, thinking about it, the field marshal does kind of gently needle him and give yeah. him the idea of, like, well, you know, if you really were that great, yes. if you were as good as we all say you are, because we say you're great, you would be able to do this. And, yes. you know, there's a command that's been opening, and people have been talking about you for this, but, right. you know, I guess, you know, somebody who really needs to, could make this happen, you know, would definitely get that. But if you can't make it happen, that's fine. You're still good. We, we think you're great. But Yeah, because the field marshal, he's a salty dog. He knows the tricks. Yeah. Because, yeah, he knows the, he knows how to push this general's buttons. And and so that, to me, actually, the general is shown as, like, the main villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like it's the field marshal. I, yes. You are absolutely correct. Because the field marshal is... So with the general, it's him being greedy and wanting to climb the ladder. But the field marshal, I don't think, cares about people at all no he's pretty much a sociopath yeah and i one of the things i had forgotten because i watched this for the first time i think when i was working at the video store so this would have been back in like the early 2000s i'm pretty sure i took it home one night um I, I would not. I was not watching material of this caliber at that age well i was watching some absolute crap too um but sometimes you it's like if you everyone knew somebody in college who was like super into porn and so they had to get into harder and harder stuff when you work at a video store you'll start watching like really weird stuff and the absolute worst and then the best of the best so you'll follow up the seventh samurai with mm. uh cheech and chong's next movie mm. and um that's not fair i mean that one that one's a movie at least um <laughs> but like uh, Terror oh. of Tiny Town, the midget western, or the the little person western, or or uh, that Andy Warhol movie that's like eight hours of just a building. Yeah, you'll watch stuff like that. Be like, this is the only way I can get an erection, mm. movie wise. <laughs> so yeah, I, I took it home and I had forgotten. It made a huge impact with me at the time, mm. um, but what I had forgotten until this rewatch is how um, Dax. The uh, I almost said Kurt Russell. The the Kirk Douglas character um, tells the field marshal about the shelling and how you know hey the field marshal or the general order the shelling. We have confirmation of this from two different sources. Um, yeah, and then the field marshal sits on it yeah. because his interpretation of it is oh you want the general out of the way so that you can have his command. Correct and. Not to let, you know, he's doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it because I want these men to live. Right. Um, but the general has no conception of that. A field marshal. I'm sorry, yeah, the field marshal has no conception of that. I had forgotten about that entirely, and so that, yeah. um, it was kind of a nice surprise for me to have that reminder of, like, oh, yeah, this movie punches you in the gut one last time right mm-hmm. before it gets out. Mm-hmm, hmm And, um, you know, it's... The, it's the the end of the movie is really where like it it, it was kind of confusing for me, mm-hmm. but I guess it made some sense because like you know you I believe they're in like the town where you know that like they're they're like this German girl is at this cabaret mm-hmm. 
and she comes in and starts singing a German folk song, and everyone joins in. And these are ostensibly the French soldiers, correct? Yes. And everyone's just like crying while they're singing, and to me, it was because they'd lost so many men in this effort, and it was this German song was reminding them of it. But like, what was your interpretation? For me, it was a moment of humanity. Um, at the end of what had been a very inhumane movie, mm. um, um, one of the things that is, I think, lacking in an environment like that is that feeling of human connection and that feeling of um, just, I mean, connection is is the best word for it, just connection to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think after what they had been through, it was a moment of unity for them and a moment of, okay, well, for the moment we are alive, for the moment we're okay, and a moment of missing everything that they had left behind and probably couldn't ever get back. Now, because, you know, that's the thing about war, right? Uh, I mean, I've never been in war myself, but uh, as these movies make clear, it uh, it changes you yeah. once you're in battle. And, you know, with all the servicemen who have all these, or service people, sorry, who have all these problems when they come back, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. War is a dirty business, and there's a reason why we have to give support to the folks who go out and fight. Because it's not human to do that. No. It is... It's both the the most natural and both unnatural thing you can do is kill another person. Right. Uh, but... Um, yeah, and so I, I always read it as a moment, or at least this time I read it as a moment of connection. I think I had forgotten about um, that ending, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read it as, you know, this this rare moment, this rare human moment, a humane moment in an inhumane world for them. And, yeah. I, and especially in how uh, Dax himself just kind of watches it, and you can see what I felt is a, a definite sadness for them mm-hmm. and sadness for the, the four who had lost their lives in the, the trial and the four, or, and then all the other ones who had lost their lives in the attack, just the senselessness. And then after it, this cathartic moment, <sighs> you know, that's the thing with Kubrick, man. This guy is, he is also known for not being terribly kind to anyone and seeing his actors as things. And, uh, yeah, this movie definitely makes you feel it. Yeah. Like, people are not really people. They're just ch- pieces on a chessboard to be moved around. In that way, it's probably one of the more pure expressions of his art form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, he was he was definitely a, an actors or cattle mm-hmm. kind of people, or kind of director. But uh, how about Kirk Douglas in this movie? Oh, so um, good. And speaking it, of which, I could see why you would 
mistake him for Kirk Russell because he definitely looks like Kirk Russell. Well, he's a goddamn handsome man in this movie. Yes. Um, he is a slab of beef. He's got the butt chin, too. But, uh, yeah, that was back when a cleft was everything. Hell, yeah. All women wanted to be cleft. All men had wanted to have a cleft. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, over the decades, he's kind of gotten the reputation of being an overactor of the Charlton Heston kind of mold. It's kind of deserved, but he turns in a really great, nuanced performance in this movie. It was, yeah. No, I, didn't, I didn't think it was like over the top or anything. No, I, so he he anchors it. You know, there are another couple of actors that I recognize. Um, the one that I, the one you're probably most likely to have seen elsewhere is probably Joe Turkle, who was in Blade Runner and The Shining. Hmm. But uh, who's who is he? In Blade Runner, he was oh, no, uh, I mean, Tyrell. In, the, in this movie? Oh, he was uh, one of the four. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. Um, which, uh, he, he was the one who uh, had the hemorrhage, I think. Oh, okay. Interesting. Cool. So, um, God. Yeah, he was. If, have you seen The Shining? No, no. But Blade okay. Runner was like 1980, so that guy had a career, man. Yeah. He was acting for a long time. He. He was a that guy mm-hmm. for the, the 60s and 70s. Back when that was somewhat more more of a thing that you could use to make a living. Yeah. Well, Not so much nowadays, because we're in the middle of the strike, and, uh, you know... Oh, yeah, nobody's making a living nowadays, unfortunately. Solidarity with our striking actor brothers and yeah. sisters. Yeah, these people make this shit. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it with AI. Mm. Not to this degree. But, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how much else I have to say about this particular movie. I guess I didn't pick one that, that was rife for discussion. Uh, but um, it's The vibe is very much, makes you feel that the world is very alien. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like humanity is often very inhumane to... to use a cliche and yeah to your point like this entire movie it feels like everyone is slightly off except for Dax Dax is the only one who's like who's plugged in as a human being and is trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and like everyone else even the men in the prison all have like various strange thoughts and like affects yeah And, you know, like Dax is the only one who's like, what the hell's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, he does seem to be a different kind of audience analog in that he's the only one to really feel of a piece with humanity, whereas everyone else does seem kind of phase-shifted. Very very detached. Yeah. Because even in in, in prison, like those guys... Until it's time for them to face the firing squad. Like, uh, the one guy who's making all the wisecracks, he's very much like, oh, well, you know, yeah, we're in here. What'd you expect to happen? <laughs> you know, and and then, like, when he's going to be killed, that's finally when he cracks and starts crying and, like, figure, you know, trying to figure out what to do. Mm. But, you know, I think, I think that's the point is, is, like, you know, this came to me. It's an epiphany. Go on. So, 
all of the characters don't feel like any of this is real until there's finally a reckoning for them. Mm-hmm. And with Dax, that reckoning has come because he cares about his men very early. But for everyone else, like, think about it. In, in uh, the early part of the movie, there's that bit where um, that guy gets killed out in battle at night mm-hmm. or battle or watch or whatever it was. Oh, and the, there's like a recon. Yeah. And there, and, and the, the sergeant is talking very casually like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta cover this up, but not really like betraying any emotion. He's just like, look, this is how it's gotta be. Yeah. And neither of them, neither of them talks about it in an impassioned way of any sort. And they're both just kind of like, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I like, I need to say certain things, but I don't really, I'm not going to say them with any real conviction. Yeah. You've seen these horrors on a daily basis for yes. maybe two years now. Right. Why expend the emotion on them now? Correct. But, but Dax is the one who's like, he still hasn't been broken by, by the, uh, the ennui. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, I had not even considered that. It's off the top of the dome, man. That's where the best revelations come from. Right. This is real time. I've learned something today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I've thought about this movie in a new way now, so that's <laughs> so much the better. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk rating, man. Yes, let's bring the the patented. How many points? Is it five points? Yeah, I think it's five. Five man. point scale. It'll keep expanding, I think. The patented <laughs> 7.5 point scale. The, patent, the the options are, from bottom to top, Okay. All Eyes on Me, mm. Regrettable Dalliance, mm. um, Beige Carpet, beige carpet. Mm. thank you, um, Atari, Atari Lynx, mm. Cultural, Cultural Touchstone. Touchstone, and then the highest honor, watch this immediately. Correct. So I guess it's six. Yes. Six point scale. Six right now, yes. Okay. So, do you want to go first or shall I? You know, I think since you were the one who picked it, it is my, it is, it is my duty to, to give it the rating of the outsider. I would say, you know, this is, I'd say it's an Atari Lynx. Because while it is a very good movie... I don't feel like it's one that it's 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 one that I think probably influenced a lot of war movies after it, mm-hmm. and so it almost feels like okay, these are beats that we have seen in other movies now. That's fair. Yeah, and so I would say that at the time it was released, probably cultural touchstone, but but because it had such influence, it's now a links. I don't even know if at the time it would have been. Um, a cultural touchstone because I think back in the 1950s, the war movies that really resonated with people were things like, um, I don't even know, like something with John Wayne. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say like Sands of Iwo Jima or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which um, were definitely a more rah rah, go USA, rugged hero mm-hmm. kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know, like post World War II. America was not really oh, no. in the horrors of war kind of thing because they're like wars are just things that we win. This movie had to have been about another military. This could not have been made in that time about the American military. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, like even 
even if it would have been a cultural touchstone of the time, I think time has kind of left it behind. And so you, you can't say, oh, my God, how have you not seen Paths of Glory? Because everyone's seen Paths of Glory. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one way or another, I feel like it gets knocked off of the cultural touchstone thing. So as much as I would like a movie of this quality to be there, I think in 2023, it's perhaps slightly underappreciated. I would say so. And I think this is one of the, as I said, one of the best war movies I've ever seen. Um, and so much more for the fact that so little of it takes place on the battlefield. Right. Um, because it is about... Um, so many movies are about the viscera of war. Mm-hmm. This is about the the cerebral aspect of it. This is about all the things that go on um, that cause us to do these horrible things. Right. And, and the consequences that other people have to pay for an armchair general's actions. Exactly. Um, so I am going to second your uh, decree of Atari Lynx. So I think we have our first mutual Atari Lynx, <laughs> or at least the first one in a while. I can't. No, I think it's first mutual. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't think we've, we've not agreed on a Lynx thus far. So I think we've, we've got an inaugural Atari Lynx, uh, a consensus Atari Lynx. Yes. So with that, give it a shot. I, I would. It's kind of glory. I would check it out. No. It's not even, it's not even 90 minutes. No. Speaking of which, it's now time for me to say what we should watch next. What will be the stiff chaser? Or I'm sorry, no. The, what will be the chaser to the stiff shot of bourbon that was Paths of Glory? It's going to be a movie that's the antithesis of this one. Mm. The Red Man, Method Man movie, How High. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so next time we'll get to uh, talk about how two stoners slash hip-hoppers make it at Harvard with the help of a ghost. (laughs) This is a Kubrick movie as well, right? (laughs) If it is, then this this was like... uh, it was like those James Patterson novels. Like, even though he's dead, they still use his name for the books. As I think he was, like, directing this on the side when he was finishing up Eyes Wide Shut. It's like, I got some steam to let off. I got a few ideas. They don't necessarily fit into, like, Full Metal Jacket or or The Shining. They're yeah. good, still the same. Yeah. I, I, I have to get red and meth and, and Lark Voorhees before her face became... Frightening. These are the only people who can achieve my vision. Exactly. (laughs) But with that, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Peace. Watch this immediately. Watch this immediately.